If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. Welcome to Considering Catholicism. I'm Greg Smith, your guide to the faith, life, and civilization that is historic Catholic Christianity. If you're a regular listener to the podcast or reader of the blog, then you know my Protestant friend, Ed, who is considering the Catholic faith. Over the last year, we've been recording our conversations about it in real time and sharing those church chats on the podcast. Way back in episode 29, Ed asked me about what Catholicism teaches about the Virgin Mary. Now, that conversation made a real impression on Ed. And so he wrote an article about it on the ConsideringCatholicism.com website. We followed up on that in episode 46 when we explored what Catholics mean when they say, to Jesus through Mary. So, I thought that it was finally time to introduce Ed to the rosary. We discussed it a little bit offline, and he agreed to do a couple of episodes about it. But before we had those conversations... I recorded an episode exploring what exactly the Hail Mary, which is the predominant prayer in the rosary, is and isn't about. That was episode 47. Okay, with all of that foundation, today Ed and I talked about the rosary, and we cut the conversation into two installments. In this episode, I explained the rosary, where it came from, what it's all about, why Catholics pray it. In the next episode, Ed and I took rosaries in our hands, and I taught him how to pray it. So, take a listen. And please help us to grow the podcast by leaving a review or comments wherever you get your podcasts. Or shoot me an email, greg at consideringcatholicism.com. And please share the podcast with anyone that you think would benefit. Welcome to Church Chats with Greg and Ed where Greg and his Protestant friend, Ed, chat about the church. So, Ed. Yes. We've been talking in some conversations about Mary. Right. And we talked about who Mary is, and we talked a little bit about Jesus through Mary, but we've been inching our way towards this topic of the rosary, Mm -hmm. which is probably the most well-known of Catholic prayers or Catholic prayers prayer practices because it's not a it's not actually a specific prayer right it is a group of prayers it's a it's a practice a a devotional practice of how you pray and the rosary is in many ways it's central to catholic spirituality over the last thousand years especially particularly talk a little bit about its origins maybe but it's become central that's a better way to put it it's Mm -hmm. become central to catholic spirituality 
And it's also something that I think is profoundly misunderstood by Protestants, and I think they're suspicious of it. So I thought maybe we just kind of get into this a little bit and talk about the rosary, and you tell me what you know about it or what maybe questions or concerns or uh, Protestants might have, like yourself might have about it, and we'll, we'll kind of explore and explain the rosary. Yeah. It has always looked to me from the outside like this was my impression, and this is me and my Protestant buddies sitting around bashing Catholics, right? But that the that the Catholics didn't know or care that there was any meaning to it. They just knew they were supposed to do it, and they just did it by rote. They just did it sort of mindlessly. Um, and I always thought, well, can't you make up your own prayer? Why do you have to have... You know, why do you have to say the same thing over and over? And my sense also was that Catholics thought this would be something that would bring blessings their way or, you know, almost like an incantation or something. Do you know what I mean? It's Uh, sort of a superstition. Yeah, exactly. Um, And as I was bopping around on the internet before uh, I came here, I knew we would talk about this. I did see some websites. I don't know if they're official websites or anything. The Catholic Church, but saying, you know, if you pray this every day faithfully, you know, these things will happen to you. Mm-hmm. And it, it started to feel like, uh, uh, you know, a one o'clock in the morning infomercial, you know, right. to me. But I've learned enough now mm-hmm. to know that none of my, my impressions are all wrong. I just, <laughs> I just don't. And I saw, so now I've done a little studying. I know a little bit, right. but I want to hear it from you. Okay. Um, uh, the first thing I would want to know is where, where did this thing come from? Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's just talk about the story. And I think when we post this episode, we'll post a, uh, an article with some links to, because you know, I'm not going to get too much into dates and names here because there's an interesting history to the rosary, but right. I don't want to recite, you know, 15 minutes of names and dates. So let's just kind of tell the story okay? And, and leave the particulars. If you're super interested in the particulars, go to consideringcatholicism.com and look, right. look at the article right. there. Here, here's the deal. So way, way, way back in the origins of Christianity, like in the first century, it was a practice among particularly those who were living what today we would call the monastic life. Um, Although they they may or may not have been called monks in the way we do now, but people who were living sort of consecrated, devoted lives to pray all 150 of the Psalms, Hmm. to recite the Psalms. And you know, you know from church, this, the Psalter is the, right. the list of Psalms. And so you'd sing the Psalter. Well, one of the things, and this is a, a devotion that came out of Judaism, is to, to pray the Psalms or recite the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And there's 150 of them. So those who uh, had devoted their lives to prayer, i.e. monks, what we call monks and nuns, although they necessarily were, were right. called monks and nuns then, but people who were living consecrated lives would either in the course of a day or in the course of a week, depending on their devotion, would recite the Psalms. And one of the ways that they would keep track, you know, you'd go like a one, two, three, four, up to 150, okay? And there were various ways that they could keep track and not lose count. And one of the early ones was that they had little pebbles or stones, marbles, basically. Right. You have a bowl of marbles, 150 marbles. And every time you recite one, you drop it, now I'm two and three, I don't lose count over whether it's over the course of a day or the course of a week or whatever the case right. is. Make sense? Yep. Now, here's the problem. First, not a problem, is a solution. Lugging around a bowl of marble, 150 right. marbles is a little bit awkward. So somebody had the bright idea to put the marbles on a string and right. make them little beads. 
And, you know, prayer beads are not unique to not only Catholicism, not unique to Christianity. There's Buddhist prayer beads, right. Muslim prayer beads. I mean, the, the bright idea to use a, a knots or beads to keep count is an ancient idea. I have my own set of prayer beads that I made myself. Yeah. So, so somewhere in the mists of time, somebody said, okay, we can, we can keep count of the 150 Psalms by counting them on a knotted rope or little right. beads on a, a string. Okay, here's the problem. Problem is, is not everybody uh, is going to recite all 150 psalms for a couple of reasons. One, maybe they don't have a book with all of the psalms and have the opportunity to learn right. to read and, and, and recite them because that requires education right. and books. And books right. used to be super expensive in the ancient world and, you right. know, all of that. And the other thing is not most people don't have the time because not everybody lives, not everybody's a monk. Not everybody lives a, a consecrated right. life. You know, uh, Christians understand vocation. Some people have a vocation to be a carpenter or a sailor or, right. a, or a husband or a father or a farmer or whatever. And you don't have all day to recite all the Psalms. So very early in the life of Christianity, lay people, ordinary Christians, could substitute the hundred, reciting the 150 Psalms with saying the Lord's Prayer 150 times a day. Hmm as a devotion. And so in uh, Latin, the Lord's prayer is the paternoster, which just means our father. Right. So you would say 150 our fathers. And there are, we have these are extant today from the early church. There were called these paternoster beads. And it's basically a string of 150 beads, usually mm-hmm. the crucifix on the end. You can find these. I mean, they still exist. Right. And they were used very early on. And it was called, interestingly enough, the poor man's uh, breviary or the poor man's psalter oh. because somebody who was just maybe a farmer or a carpenter or whatever ordinary person would say, well, I, I you know, I don't have all these books and I can't spend all day right. reciting the Psalms, but what I can do is over the course of my day, remember to say 150 our fathers, one for every of the Psalms. And that way I'm sort of imitating right. in a more limited way right. what the consecrated people living consecrated life do. And, you know, now you may not say all 150 of them at one time, that's the point of the beads. You might say, when I wake up in the morning, I say some Our Fathers. And of course, the day I make sure I say right. the Our Father, which, by the way, you say, well, you shouldn't repeat it, but that's exactly what Jesus', Jesus disciples came and said, how do we pray? And he said, say right. this. So they prayed the heart. Okay. That was called the poor man's Psalter. Okay. Now, time goes on. You get into late antiquity, the Middle Ages. And what happened was there began a practice of inserting some other prayers into that 150 right, Our Fathers. Yep. And one of them was, at some point in the history, it was a very organic thing, they began to use the angel Gabriel's words, Hail Mary, full of grace. Right. The Lord is with thee. Because it centered you on the incarnation. Yep. And so there became practice of saying, whether or not 150 times, but inserting right. that in there and saying, to, to center the, the, the person on the incarnation, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And then say, Our Father, our heart in heaven. Right. And so that came. And then what happened was you began to add to the Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee, the line, Blessed art thou among women, um, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, which is what her cousin Elizabeth says yeah. in the book of Luke when she arrives. Once again, blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus, that centers us on Jesus and the coming of Christ, and then you pray to our fathers. So what was, there was this very organic process of keeping count throughout the course of your day of saying our fathers, mm-hmm. Lord's prayers, 
and with some of these other prayers that were centered on the incarnation. And the, the rosary emerged over the centuries and elements were added to them. Elements of the Hail Mary prayer were added kind of bit by bit. Mm-hmm. And then the counting of them and the structuring of them right. began to change. And so supposedly the Virgin Mary appeared to St. Dominic and taught him or gave him or instructed him to put the rosary together in its current form. Uh, whether that actually happened completely or that St. Dominic picked up on forms that were already popular at that time and right. maybe refined them, I'll leave that to historians to argue about. But I think the most important thing is to say that for over you know, 1,200 years or 1,400 years, 1,500 years, the rosary in its present form emerged when various devotional practices came together and practices of prayer. And these were refined and they were, there were various saints and spiritual directors and, 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 and Christian authors and theologians and pastors who added elements and restructured elements and tweaked it until it came into its present form, including, we'll talk about in a moment, the mysteries of the rosary, which are the, the scriptural passages one reflects on. Right. So the rosary as we know it today was kind of finalized in the 1500s. Okay. Okay. With one addition uh, or two additions in the 20th century. And I'll get to those in a second. See, I find it comforting that the rosary is not just some one-off thing that somebody invented. Right. But that it really has its origins in devotional prayer and Christian devotional prayer from the Psalms to the Lord's Prayer to elements of uh, quotes from the book of Luke to these things, and then just kind of tweaking and being refined by various saints and spiritual directors over the years until it becomes something that is a very structured and organized group of prayers. Wait, if thousands and or millions of people, yeah. millions of people have done this for 2000 years in some form, as it developed, it would then, it's logical to me that it wasn't just something that somebody cooked up in the back room. Right. It was, it was... It emerged, it emerged in a sense, I hate to use the word organically, but it emerged in a sense organically from the life right. of, of, of the church and the right. life of Christians. And from, and from the life of millions of Christians, yeah, not millions. from the life of, of uh, two or three influential people. But, no. uh, and, if, and if along the way this had not worked or right. done well for people or not helped them in their devotions or, or anything— it would have changed, and, and perhaps it did. Well, it, it did. In fact, what's interesting is because elements were added, other elements were tweaked. Right. Because, again, under, under pastors and spiritual directors and others, they say, hey, you know, well, what if we do it this way? Like, even to, to this moment, there are some different tweaks to ways that people will pray the rosary. Right. So, for like, when we get into in our next conversation, we'll walk, actually walk through it, there's some little tweaks there's the way the Dominicans pray the first prayers of the rosary is a little bit different than the standard way that most Catholics pray it. That uh, If you're in the Dominican order, there's just a couple little tweaks in the order of the prayers. There's a couple little tweaks in terms of what you say at the end. You know, some people sort of add an extra prayer at the end or whatever, or there's another little prayer that gets added into the middle of it that was added in 1917. And some people use it and some people don't. So the point is that it was over time, how can this practice, this structured way to organize prayer continue, be sort of continuously improved to be right. helpful? Right. And, I, you know, that's why I take great comfort in it because, it, as you say, it wasn't cooked up in a back room. It isn't some one-off thing. It really is the refined practice of, of, um, 
of, of, of Christians for a hundred generations. No, and, and which, which comes to the name, the rosary, which I, I think is interesting from a cultural standpoint, how it's interpreted. So I'm going to tell you when I, when I was a Protestant, the rosary and its association with Mary, the word rosary was a little bit of a turnoff to me because as a sort of hardcore Calvinist right. and, you know, all those like, you know, worship of Mary and statues of Mary and then rosary roses and all, it's all sort of kind of felt like weirdly feminine to me right. and it felt like goddessy and, right. you know, kind of strange. But when I finally understood where the word rosary came from, this Latin word rosarium and rosarium in Latin means a garden, like what you would plant a flower garden. Right. And it was a very kind of standard medieval metaphor because it was an agrarian society. You would talk about having planting gardens, like agricultural metaphors, Mm -hmm. like we plant, we sow, we grow. And so the idea was uh, this rosarium, and it was often used in other contexts, a rosarium was an organized set of works that were sort of planted in a deliberate way, like you would have a flower garden and you plant some here, here, here around a pathway, right? That's a rosarium. And so in Latin, it was used in other contexts too. Like uh, it was used sometimes as an anthology of works. Like if you had a bunch of authors and you put like an anthology of stories or authors mm-hmm. together into a, a compendium or a book, it would be a rosarium. It'd be a collection of works. So this got applied to what we call the rosary. It's a rosarium of prayers because the rosary action consists of multiple prayers. The Our Father, the Hail Mary, the Phantom of Prayer, the Glory Be, the, the Apostles' Creed. And so basically they're very intentionally organized like a flower garden and a pathway through these prayers. It became, you know, in the words of a medieval sort of analogy, a rosarium of prayer. It's sort of, was it fair to say that it's also sort of a meditation? Yeah. Because, you know, the, um, the Apostles' Creed isn't a prayer. It's a, it's a declaration. Well, yeah, I would argue it's it? also, I would argue it's both. I oh. would argue it's a, a declaration, a creed, but I would also argue that it's, it's in some sense it's prayerful, but that's a whole right. other conversation right. another day. But the point is, is that the idea is here is a, uh, again, a sort of structured, patterned, deliberate way right. that a group of prayers are organized and getting into the benefits of it. I mean, one of the things that I love about saying the rosary is a lot of times like, it takes me about depending how fast I want to say it, right? It takes me anywhere between 20 and 25 minutes, depending on how long I want to reflect and, you know, how right. slow I want to go. But it's, it's, you know, if I call it 25 minutes, it's 25 minutes where I sit down and I go, I'm going to have a very structured pattern of reflecting on scripture and structured prayer. And it's a 25 minute devotion. And in my own day, a lot of times I go, okay, I'm going to make time for this 25 minutes to walk through the path of all of these Mm-hmm. creeds and prayers and scripture passages and reflections and, and responses. Uh, you know, if you think about the contemporary evangelical church where you stand up there with the praise band for 25 minutes and right. sing your praise songs, you know, here's 25 minutes of structured prayer and devotion. Mm-hmm. And the beads, the process keeps me from getting distracted and, distracted and off track and, right. and counting my way, you know, in a sense, counting my way through it, but basically walking my way through that structure. Right. Much like if I went to the evangelical church in the strip mall and you put the, the songs up on the big uh, screen and then, you know, I have to go through and read all of those. Like we're right. going through a process here and it's right. a process of praying and devoting and meditating. Yeah. 
So that's, it's a rosarium of prayer, a breviary or a collection of prayers. And it has its roots, you know, deeply in the Psalter and, and, and all these kinds of things. So, so that's this kind of the story of the rosary. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, it's like our mutual friend said, who converted to Catholicism, why do I need, who needs all that structure? You know, well, I do. Yeah. And I, um, I remember thinking that, you know, somebody would, you know, at, at a church along the way, someplace with me, somebody would say, you know, I've decided to pray the Psalms every day, or I'm going to pray three Psalms every day. I'm going to whatever. And I would think, I, I would, you know, I would sort of think, well, how very Catholic of you. You know, you don't need to do any of that. But at some, at some point, I need to do something. I can't get up in the morning and reinvent prayer every right. morning. And I need some way of focusing. And at some point, if I find a way of focusing, it's going to be that way and not the other way. But that's okay. That's how it's beginning to look to me is it would be a thing that would constantly, daily, if I however often I did it, would like you said, it would center me. It would bring me back and say, these are the important things. Like the, uh, like that, that famous football coach who would always start the season out by saying, this is a football. Right. And our, our, our point is to get it across the goal. You know? Right. Uh, and it's easy to get uh, all wrapped up in gray areas. Right. Uh, and not that some of that stuff isn't, isn't important, but I could stand to be reminded all the time of the things that are important, that who God is and who I am and why, how, how I am being saved and who Jesus is and why I need him. And, you know, you know, again, to the Protestant critic, what I'm about to say is, you know, going to be offensive. And they're going to go, there you go. But, but there's a sense in which prayer is work. Yeah. I, I don't mean like, you know, oh God, I hate this, but there's a, there, there's, there's an activity, there's a structured activity. There's something that you engage in deliberately and there's things you want to accomplish in your prayer time. And I remember when I was an evangelical, I I didn't really know what to do with devotion time, right? right? Like they get up and say, well, you have to have your morning devotions or I'd go on retreats. So I, I, you know, I had the, the opportunity, obviously, as a pastor to go on these like personal retreats. And a lot of times people would say, hey, you know, you can use our cottage or you'd go to some lake in the mountains or up north or something. And you'd go, now, what do I do? You know, and I go, I got to read my Bible. So I'd read a bunch of Bible passages. But because I was, you know, a pastor and a teacher and a writer and all that, I would sit there and start like reading passages and then like wondering what it said and how, you know, look at wondering <laughs> about the Greek or the Hebrew. And right. then I'd start making marginal notes about, oh, yeah, I got a good idea for a sermon here. And, you know, I mean, and, and I would just dive into that. And I go, I, I don't, but I don't really know what to do. I didn't know how to organize right. my time. And so what ended up happening is I spent a lot of time just sort of like, you know, daydreaming or wandering or getting bored. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but I go, I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to actually do here. And my mind would wander. I'd get bored. I'd fall asleep. I hate to admit that I'd fall asleep a lot. When they, when I worked for the big church, they, at some point they gave us all one day off, one weekday work day. I think it was a month or every two months or something to go away for a day and pray. Well, and at the, as an aside, I thought, well, that's nice that you give me a day to go do that, but you still expected me to get everything done. So you actually just asked me to right. take my work and work it into 19 days rather than 20 in a month. Anyway. Well, you know, I mean, I, I think I told you once I, I had a, I worked at a church once and they, uh, I was, 
senior pastor there. And when I, I came to that church, they had the fancy senior pastor's office had like a private bathroom off and everything. Right. And one of the things they had was this uh, Herman Miller Eames chair, yeah. which is like this super expensive, like classic, iconic, yeah. iconic thing. It's like a big lounger thing. And I, I'd sit down in it and then like the secretary would go, you come in here and do your devotions. And I'd come in in the morning at like seven o'clock and she'd bring me like hazelnut coffee or whatever right. and close the door. And I'd sit in the Eames chair and I'd, I'd fall asleep. Well, isn't this, you know, this- cause I, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to do. So I have a friend of mine, uh, I had a friend who is a Christian author and Protestant guy. And he had this big breakthrough. He wrote a book, got it published by the publishing company I worked at, Zondervan, called, you know, Praying the Psalms. And it was like, his big innovation was, oh my gosh. He's like, I wrote a whole book. I discovered this amazing like prayer principle, you could pray the Psalms. That's what you could do with your time. You could just like use them as prayers. And I go, and I was like, Ben, like you didn't invent that. That's like, that's what Catholics, that's what Christians were doing from the first century. That's like, like claiming you discovered McDonald's. <laughs> that's you right. Know? You know, and I was like, dude, I mean, right. I'm glad that you're doing this, but I mean, I was, so, you know, when you would say, I'm going to pray the Psalms, then you go, well, now I know kind of what to do. And so anyway, what I find comforting about the rosary is it does give me, and it takes me about 25 minutes to do it. It gives me a pathway, a structured pattern of meditation, reflection, and prayer Mm -hmm. that uses my time, the time that I have to pray productively. In in a sense, and that's what I mean by work, not that like the Protestant critic goes, oh my gosh, you know, you guys are just like slavishly doing works theology. It's not that. No, I want to use my devotional time constructively and productively. Before we decided we were going to talk about this in in a podcast or whatever, I, but we had been talking about it offline. I downloaded a PDF on my computer and I have a couple of mornings, I think one morning this week and one morning last week, I started going through it Mm -hmm. and trying to figure it out and yep. trying to, uh, I have some prayers to memorize, uh, some things I've not unfamiliar with. Um, uh, and then I have to find a time to do it. And my intention is to sort of work my way into this and because it looks good to, to do mm-hmm. and, and I want to see what it does for me. I want to, you know, right. I want to see where it takes me. Yeah. You know, I've told this, well, I've told this story before about the first time I ever prayed the rosary when I got a rosary and, I was all afraid to, I've never recorded this in another podcast. So I won't really tell the whole long story here, but it's kind of funny story about how I sort of uh, bought a rosary on the down low. I snuck, slunk when I was still a Protestant. I slunk over to a Catholic yeah. bookstore, <laughs> bought this rosary. It's and, like going to the liquor store. Yeah. Right? And I had it in the cup holder of my car for like right. a month and I just stare at it, but I was afraid to do it because I knew that once I prayed the rosary, then like I, I would have sort of crossed the Rubicon. Right. Like I, all of a sudden I, how would I, ever explain that I was a Calvinist again right. when I was like doing rosaries and right. I had a rosary in my, my car. And, and I thought about it and thought about it and I, and I didn't know how to do it. So I went onto a, a YouTube, uh, how to pray the rosary and I watched right. like a YouTube video. And right. then I, but finally I broke down one day and I was sitting in a parking lot in my car, you know, I parked out right. some, <laughs> some way, way out in the super, you know, the extreme edge right. of the mall parking lot where nobody right. in a, in a nearby town where nobody would see me. And I, right. <laughs> sat there and like prayed my rosary the first time I prayed my rosary following the YouTube guide. But, uh, you know, it's, 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 but I do want to say one more thing about it that I think Protestants don't understand. Uh, I did. And that is there's the prayers, right? And, right. and we'll get into those in the next episode, but 
what it also is, is the, the biblical passages that you're supposed to reflect on or meditate upon mm-hmm. while you say the prayers. And this is a really important I didn't important know thing. that either, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is, well, I'll make sure we talk about this. They're called the rosary mysteries. Okay. And at first you go, again, the process, oh, mysteries, but that's actually a biblical word, mystery, right? The, right. The, the mystery of the incarnation, the mysteries of faith. And so what it is, is that there were originally three sets of rosary mysteries. And each one of them has five stories from the Bible or incidents. And these five stories or incidents correspond to the five decades of the rosary. So when we talk about that in the next episode, you basically have five decades. So five sets of 10 beads. And you start with an Our Father, and then you pray... And right. Mary's and you pray glory be and then, you know, Adam prayer, whatever. But the point is, is that as you go through these five, you're reflecting on one of these sets of mysteries and they all follow the biblical stories. Right. So right. you have, for example, the joyful mysteries, which are basically the incarnation. Okay. So the joyful mysteries track, they track the incarnation. So you start with um, the annunciation uh, mm-hmm. to, of you know to, of the angel Gabriel Mary, and then you have the visitation where Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, and then you have the nativity, the birth of Jesus, and then you have his dedication in the temple, and then the finding of you know, so basically follows the story that of Jesus's birth and childhood, right? And then you know you have the sorrowful mysteries, and those are five incidents. So you have. Uh, you know, the scourging at the pillar, right? You're the, right? right? You know, prayer in the garden of the Gethsemane, scourging at the pillar, right? The you know, carrying of the cross, the crucifixion. So you follow these right. five stories from the life of Jesus. And then um, you have the glorious mysteries, which basically track the resurrection and the ascension, right? right? So basically when you are praying these prayers and for someone who says process, it's just wrote to prayer, you go, no, I'm, I'm praying these prayers while I reflect on these biblical stories. And they all follow the life of Christ mm-hmm. and, and basically the gospel. So as I pray in our Father and as I pray through a decade of a rosary, I am keeping in mind or reflecting upon or visualizing or whatever, taking a moment to reflect or meditate upon that incident from the life of Christ. And then I do my prayers for that decade, keeping that incident or that moment for right. the life of Christ in mind as I do it. So it is a combination in a sense of the actions of prayer and the actions of reflecting on scripture. I can see that I would benefit from this because my mind wanders like in a snap, right? Like there's a, um, at work, I'll be doing something at work or I'll have I'll often take my uh, cup of coffee with me and I'm going to get a cup of coffee and I walk past the bathroom. So I set my coffee cup down outside the bathroom and I walk in. When I walk out of the bathroom, I never remember to get my coffee. I walk out and I think, what, where's my coffee? Oh, I sat right. by the bathroom. Every time my mind, mind wanders that quickly. So yeah. I can see that if, so I, I do better thinking when I'm like uh, driving Right. Or walking because just enough energy is bled off yeah. that I can, that I can, uh, and I can see where this would be a well, similar. And I think for you as a thing. musician, so you're used to, you know, playing your instrument with your hands right. while you're singing, while you're, you know, doing, right. you know, so you're kind of multitasking. And in a sense, it's like, I'm praying in our father and I'm praying these prayers while I keep in mind. 
So again, I said a moment ago, there were these sets of mysteries, right? right? So you have the joyful mysteries, like I said, that all have to do with uh, the birth of Christ. So you, you know, the annunciation, visitation, nativity, right. uh, presentation, finding Jesus in the temple when he's 12. Then you go through the sorrowful mysteries, which are, you know, the agony of the garden, the scourging of the pillar, crowning with thorns, carrying of the cross, crucifixion. Then you have these glorious mysteries, resurrection, ascension, descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and so on and so forth. What's interesting, I said a moment ago or a few minutes ago that there were some additions, the, the, the rosary keeps evolving because in 2002, I think it was, there was a fourth set of mysteries added. Wow. And this was added by Pope John Paul II. He felt that Christians would benefit by reflecting on a fourth set of five mysteries. And they're called the luminous mysteries, like luminous, like light. Mm-hmm the mysteries of light, because they all show uh, the light of Christ. So those five incidents are the baptism in the Jordan. Mm-hmm. And you remember when the baptism in the Jordan, you hear, you see the Holy Spirit descending like right. a dove and, and God saying, this is my son who I'm well pleased. You have the wedding at Cana, mm-hmm. right? Where he turns water into wine. You have the proclamation of the kingdom. Then Jesus went about proclaiming, hold the kingdom of God's hand at yep. Israel's time has come. Then you have the transfiguration where mm-hmm. Jesus is revealed on the top of the mountain yep. uh, with Moses and Elijah. And then you have the institution of the Eucharist, the last supper. I give you my body and my blood. So you have these four sets of five mysteries. Uh, so they're tracked to days of the week. So for example, on Mondays, uh, you play, pray the joyful mysteries. Mm-hmm. If it's a Tuesday, you pray the sorrowful mysteries. On Wednesday, you pray the glorious mysteries. On Thursday, you pray the luminous mysteries. So you're tracking through the life right. of Christ. Then on Friday, it's sorrowful. Saturday is joyful. And Sunday is glorious. And then you start over right. again. And that way you kind of keep track. So over the course of a week, you are immersed in the life of Christ. You are immersed in the New Testament right. gospels. Just immersed right. in the stories of the gospels. And so the rosary is this total structured immersion in the gospels and the life of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, and the mysteries and signs of Christ, while engaging in structured prayer. And, and this works especially well for me, there's something tactile, you've got a set of beads yeah. in your hand. Oh, yeah. Um, and I have, I think I told you this, so I, we maybe even talked about this once, I made up a set of prayer beads for myself, yeah. uh, and I, I, I purposely, I, I went to the bead store in Grand Haven, and I just <laughs> bought a bunch, uh, purposefully, I bought deliberately bought beads that were of all different shapes and, and yeah. sizes and, and so forth. So, you know, the first two are these two identical big uh, beads mm-hmm. that are me and my wife. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then next it's, uh, well, the bit, there's a big one at the beginning and that's God. Right. And then my, and then so, and so forth. So uh, greatly different shapes for my, uh, my kids and my grandkids and yep. for other things that I want to pray for people I know and other, and you know, and, and as I feel my yeah. way through, I think of that person because I feel that bead that, that my thoughts about one of my daughters will, will correspond to the feeling of that right. bead. And it's keeps me. Keeps no, me that's correct. really cool. And that tactile thing is really cool. Cause not only does it keep you on track, but like you say, there's a tactile component. I love praying my rosary where I'm like, there, I, I have the feel of it in my mind. It's all sense memory. Right. And it's like, I move this and this and this, and I have right. the crucifix and I do this and it really does give you that. And it is like, as a musician, you're playing an instrument or whatever. I was going to say something about how you put your own together because there are a lot of other 
sets of prayer beads in Catholicism that are not the rosary. Oh, I didn't know So, that. because there are other, some other sort of structured devotions, the chaplet of this or that. And so you can actually, you know, go online to some of the right. rosary websites, Catholic websites and go for other sets of structured prayers, you can buy sets of beads and follow those hmm. because again, look, I mean, you know, in thousands of years, no one's come up with a, maybe a better way. I mean, there's all these weird apps with your phone that you can use yeah. that they try to replace that. It's like a little right. ding when you're supposed to say the next prayer. I find that horribly distracting. Isn't there a little card you can carry in your pocket or something yeah, with there's holes all, in it or something? Yeah, there are all kinds of different ways, but I, I find that just the ancient practice of holding these right. in my hand and clicking through them you know, keeps right. me on track as that tactile component. So right. anyway, that's what the rosary is. I think there's a lot of misunderstandings about it is. I, my final word on it is it's deeply scriptural uh, because of the, not only the, the, the nature of the prayers themselves and its origin in the Psalter, uh, but the meditation on the gospels as you right. go through them. It is a structured, and I like, you know, more I think about it, to say it's a constructive and productive way to use the time that I have to pray. I was just going to say, there, I could think of a lot of ways, a lot of worse ways to spend my 25 minutes. Yeah, right. absolutely. So what I'd like to do is we're going to stop here and then uh, we'll have another conversation. I'm not, let's actually walk through the rosary yeah. and talk about the various prayers that are on it. Awesome. Okay, excellent. Thanks, Ed. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts? And please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the Church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.